0: Hello and welcome to Money Tips. This is Charles Kelly bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest, accumulate and ultimately enjoy more money. Today I want to talk to you about assets and why you should invest in assets or at least look at considering and consider investing in assets. You know, if you look at all the pension schemes where most of our money is invested on the market, you know, they don't invest in bank deposits. They invest in real assets like property shares and bonds mainly. So I want to talk to you about that today. Um, Now, a few years ago, I went to a seminar given by Robert Kiyosaki. He's the guy who's written all of those rich dad, poor dad books. And, you know, he's made a fortune in property and his, his work has been very influential. I've read many of his books myself and very interesting guy. But he has this thing about what is an asset, what is not an asset. And they got this 10 year old boy who was with his dad and he was really good at that, uh, that game they have, the uh, cash flow game, the board game. This kid could really play it well. So he's only about 10 years old and he's already getting into money and understanding assets. And they, they asked him on stage, I said, what is an asset? And the boy said, assets, put money in your pocket. And everyone laughed. And then they said to him, what is a liability? The boy said, liabilities takes money out of your pocket. And the whole crowd was great. I mean, he's probably a billionaire by now. This kid. That was about ten years ago. And when they were talking about assets, they were talking about anything that gives you an income or puts money in your pocket. And they were excluding things there like your own home, which people say is an asset, but you know, is it really an asset when it's taking money out of your pocket? And obviously, liabilities could be anything like you know, buying cars, unless they're classic cars, of course. Consumer goods, uh, all of those things that are, are not really assets. They're not really putting money in your pocket now. OK, this is a rather simplified description of an asset and it doesn't really explain the whole thing fully. Now, whilst it's true that assets can put money in your pocket in the form of, say, income or growth, like a property, for instance, can give you income, a share can give you an income, a bond can give you an income. But not all assets give you a regular income and the value of all these assets can also go down as well as up. It doesn't mean that assets automatically always go up. You know, for instance, that gold and silver, for instance, quite a good asset to hold money into. But, uh, you know, they're not going to give you an income. Classic cars is another one that people like to invest in. Watches, antiques, arts, all these sort of things. Yeah, you can get income if you rent them out, of course. But in general, they they don't give you an income. But the value is expected to increase over time. But you never know. I mean, gold was in the doldrums for many, many years. I think at the time the British government sold their gold many, many years ago. They were at the bottom of the market. A couple of hundred dollars an ounce. Now it's a $1,000 or whatever uh, so, you can't guarantee that any asset is always going to go up. But generally speaking, real assets, fixed assets, over time ha- have gone up. Now, assets, of course, need not be uh, tangible or, or physical assets. They can also be things that you can create, like blogs, podcasts, books, songs, ebooks, websites, online stores. Copyrights, inventions, even an email list, Facebook pages and many, many other things that are not necessarily tangible things like bricks and mortar can be assets, including, including, of course, property. Uh, I mean, businesses that you, you start up. A business doesn't have to be a physical business, of course. And my best investments and my greatest assets and returns have been through the businesses that I've started, usually from scratch with little or no money. You know, you could start a business. A business could be a website that you start for like fifty pounds, and in some cases, that that has led to multi-multi million pound businesses just from an idea and a a website. So think about assets in a different way. Open your mind and think. Well, an asset could be my my mailing list. You know, that's a very important asset for many companies. They live off of their mailing list. Their client list is is an asset. So many many things can be assets. Don't just think of assets as property or shares. Now. For one very sound reason investing money in assets instead of just putting your money in the bank will protect your savings against inflation now inflation is very important to consider because inflation devalues the value of your money over time now for instance if you've got your money in the bank and i'm not suggesting you shouldn't have money in the bank we all need to have liquid assets and liquid cash ready available in the bank but let's say your money in the bank uh, is there and you know you're earning a half a percent or quarter percent or whatever it is and inflation is running at one percent you know the rate at which your buying power of your money is going down it, it, it's going down by half as much every year so every year the buying power of your money is going down by one percent but you're only earning half a percent and that's just a simple way of, of just looking at it and to keep the math simple now whilst half a percent isn't much over the years it will just eat into your savings like like a moth ridden pair of curtains really now let's face it we're not even getting half a percent on our money now so i'll come back to that in a second i'll give you another example of how inflation you know affects things over time now only about 15 16 maybe 15 16 17 years ago i'd moved to an area I'd started a business i had a bit of spare cash and i found that i could buy a flat in the area this is just outside london with a 15 percent deposit this is a buy to let mortgage 15% deposit and if I had 15 20 grand I could buy a small flat not the best flat in town but I could buy a small flat with 15 to 20,000 maybe a little bit more and everything was including that stamp duty deposit legal fees and, and I'd get myself a flat and uh, now today I couldn't do it with that same deposit. So, if I had that deposit in the bank and kept it and sort of not bought a property, now I would need 50, 60, 70, 80,000 pounds to buy a flat. Okay, things have slightly changed. I'd need a slightly bigger deposit, but you can see, um, even on a flat now, let's say the, the cheapest flat is two or three hundred thousand pounds, even if I could get a 15% mortgage, you know, you're still going to need, need 50,000 pounds which if I'd kept the money in the bank for all of those years, that £15,000 would never have grown to £50,000 earning, you know, one or two or three percent interest, would it? You can see that, right? Uh, So inflation has meant that assets have gone up faster than savings on deposits. So it's it's just one example of how inflation affects the, the buying power of your money. Like this happens to, to young couples, right? That you know when they're trying to save for a deposit to buy their first home, you know they save ten thousand pounds, twenty thousand pounds, but the value of property is going up faster than they can put money aside, and they're certainly not earning very much money on the money in the bank. Now inflation can work in your favour, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But put another way, you know, in that property that I bought, and this is a real, real example. I've doubled or even tripled the value of that of my money in that property over a fifteen-year period. In addition, I've I've enjoyed income from that property. I've enjoyed rentals. Now, yes, rentals are not passive. I I can't just leave it and forget it. I've had to do work. I've had to deal with tenants, and you know, occasionally I've had to deal with repairs and all sorts of hassles. But it's not a full-time job, and the returns have been more than worth it. So, it's been a very very good investment. I, you know, my money's gone up. In fact. You might say that uh, everybody knows that. It's, it's obvious that property goes up in value and all that sort of thing. And everybody knows that inflation reduces the value of your money. And yet so few people actually act on it and, and buy assets rather than just leaving their money in the bank. That's why the banks have got billions of pounds on deposit. Now, Why is this? Uh, you know, Part of the reason, I guess, is that um, lack of knowledge. It could be lack of education, complacency, that they just can't be bothered Uh, because it takes a lot of effort and tenacity to go around and look at properties or or search for the stock market then you've got to apply for finance you've got to deal with mortgages and tenants and brokers you know many of my my own family can't be bothered with getting into that market you know they'd prefer to just buy one property they live in that property and that's it and they'll pay that mortgage off and have paid that mortgage off but along the line they could have bought several properties off the back of the equity that they had in that property Certainly my my parents could have done, but they just would never do that. Now, when I worked in the bank, I'll give you another example. We'd have clients that would leave, you know, quite large sums of money, 50, 100, 200, 300,000 pounds in an old account that was earning extremely low interest rates. Now, for whatever reason, the bank have changed that account and they've kind of let it just go into the doldrums and, and just let it drift and not increase the rate of return on that account. So the people are there left with that money in there obviously the staff would advise them. Why don't you move this money into this account? Very simple. And you'd earn in some cases two or three times the interest rate. So the double or triple the rate that they could earn on that money. And it would require no extra effort on behalf of the, of the, of the client. They just say, come in, sit down and do it. You know, there wasn't any forms to fill in or anything. And yet, the clients will say, "No, I just I'm happy with that account. I just want to leave it where it is." You know what can you do? They were just happy to leave it. Now, buying assets, on the other hand, takes a bit more effort and time, but there is also a risk. You could lose money in asset. You could buy the wrong type of asset. You could buy it at the wrong period of time. Like you buy property at the top end of the market, it goes. Oh my God, it's gone down. But you know, in general, these are long-term investments. You can't just say every asset I buy will will automatically go up. I have bought assets in the past. I bought shares that went down and you know, I was horrified. And, and even with all the research you do, you can still get it wrong. Even the experts get it wrong. Now, for one of these reasons, you know, the risk factor when it comes when you take into the risk factor and the effort it takes to go and buy assets. For these reasons, millions of people hand over their money to fund managers to invest in assets on their behalf, usually in shares uh, and, and property shares or bonds on the stock market, whatever. And this is done through things like um, pension schemes, unit trusts, investments, uh, investment trusts and what they're known as America's mutual funds, which are similar things. And everyone puts their money in, the money's divided up into units and then the fund managers go out and buy property, shares, it could be shares in property companies as well, shares on the stock market and also bonds. Uh, These are, are fixed interest investments usually issued by companies or governments. that all sounds fine as well you think why don't i just do that well there are some drawbacks and you've got to look at this as well the main one being charges commissions fees can have a major impact on your investment returns and ultimately how much money you have left when you come to retire now investment houses and fund managers charge fees such as an annual management charge and an ongoing administration fee You may have to pay commission to a broker or or fees for advice. Now, whilst the fees look small, you know, it could be just a 1% fee, but it could run into 2% with other fees added on top. Over time, when you apply this to the value of the fund, it can can have quite a large effect maybe 10, 20, 30% of the fund over that period, maybe more. And obviously, this will vary from company to company and what they're charging. And I have to say that fees have come down in the last few years. The government have tried to. To regulate it a bit more and 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 get companies to charge less in fees but just take an example of one percent if you invest ten thousand pounds into a unit trust they might say the fees are one percent so you think 100 pound a year well that sounds fine doesn't it what, what's 100 pound a year you've got to pay for for the, all the the expertise right and all the administration okay but how about in 20 years time that fund with further investments and growth may have grown to a hundred thousand pounds then suddenly your fee is a thousand pounds a year what if it was a million you know 10,000 a year but suddenly it, it looks a larger thing and of course as the fund grows bigger and bigger the cumulative effect of these fees go grow greater and greater in addition there is also the the loss of growth on the money that would have been invested had fees not been charged now there are other charges that you, you may need to consider within the fund like the, the the buying and selling of shares that are all passed on to you and you know all in all the charges can be substantial and, and make you know quite a big difference to your fund now Okay, you need to look into this, you need to take advice, independent advice, but always look at the fees, always ask these questions, look at the brochures, read them carefully. Because when you think about it, if you go into any major city, I've been to cities all over the world, and you look at the the biggest skyscrapers, the biggest office buildings, and who are they owned by? Banks and insurance companies in general, right? Banks, insurance companies, maybe through pension schemes as well. But that that all is filtered through banks and insurance companies because these institutions are the institutions that control most of our money, most of the money going around in the world. Right. Now, obviously, we don't expect fund managers to to kind of work for nothing, uh, especially if they're actively investing your money. And, and, you know, they're, they're looking at all the shares and the performance and they're picking out the best stocks to give you the very best performance. Right. Well, active fund management means that. You're picking out the best stocks and shares. The fund managers should therefore beat the average growth in the indexes, such as the FT100 index, the top 100 shares in the company or the FT all share index. Right. You know, if you're picking out the best shares, they should beat them. Right. Well, in fact, they don't. So you'd be wrong. The vast majority of so-called active fund managers actually do not even match the average index price rise let alone beat those indexes and you think well how comes that you know when you consider that the average index includes obviously being average it includes the lowest and the highest and comes out with an average right so if you've got some shares that are really bringing the performance down you'd think wouldn't you that the fund managers would have a handle on that not buy those shares that are going down they're, they're going to be buying the shares that are maintaining or, or going up but surprisingly very few do so and when they do over a period of time they're they're treated like you know superstars they're treated like you know Ronaldo's you know legendary investors like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger yeah they've outperformed the index over decades you know if you'd invested in their fund not their fund but their company 20 30 40 years ago I can't remember the figure but something like 10,000 pounds would be worth a couple of million now literally that is that good unfortunately though they don't have a fund Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger run an investment vehicle, which is a company, their own company, Berkshire Hathaway. And they use that company as a holding company to buy quite large stakes in other companies like Coca-Cola, McDonald's and basically kind of evergreen type of businesses, very simple businesses. And uh, they invest in those companies. So you might say, well, why don't I just go and buy shares in that? Well, actually, the share price at the moment is trading. The last time I looked at around $300,000 per share right three hundred thousand dollars per share now you can buy half a share a quarter of a share a tenth of a share and smaller amounts but that's that's quite a lot of money and to be frank i'm not suggesting go and buy shares in that company the shares are are what you could call mature in price wise so you're not necessarily going to get the growth that you've enjoyed in the past but that's that's just an example of two fund managers that have beaten the index and there are others but i'm just saying the average you know if you look at most of these insurance companies, and investment houses, you find that the the performance is, I would say, even below average at times. And and I worked for an insurance company before and I, I met fund managers and sometimes they had good good years, but other times you think, well what are they doing? You know, these policies that we've we've sold to people and they've entrusted our money, what I couldn't understand is how those policies had, had not performed very well, even when the average value of the stock market was going up. Their policies did not seem to be performing that well. And I couldn't understand that. There was one fund which was property fund. And I thought, well, this property fund is doing so badly when everyone else have just bought a property. They're all making money in property. Why is it these property funds are not doing so well or, you know, that the charges are outstripping the growth? Anyway you've got other choices um some would advise you um i'm not a financial advisor i'm not giving you financial advice i'm not qualified to do so you need to seek your own advice and get advice from an independent financial advisor but some advisors would say well don't put your money into an active fund active managed fund use an index tracking fund and these are funds that are largely run by computers and algorithms they still have people running them as well but they they have a fund which tracks the main indexes So if if your fund is the All Share Index or the Dow Jones Index in America, it will track the fund. Therefore, the charges and fees and the management fees are lower by, by virtue. And some of these funds have actually done better than active managed funds. They've certainly done better than the average active managed fund. They haven't done better in the funds where you've got star performing fund managers. And even when you've got a star performing fund manager, you could say, well, this guy's done really well in the last couple of years. His fund's gone up by 20 percent. I'll invest in that. And then you could find that over the next five years, they're actually not performing as well as they did. But that's another subject. You can buy index tracking funds. Some of them uh, actually invest in every share in, in the index. They just buy every share. Others do it by more clever means and complicated tracking means. They don't actually literally invest. They do it through other vehicles, derivatives or whatever but you know these are quite complex things but there are a number of different track tracking funds again look at independent advanced financial advice or better still become educated yourself i've already done a podcast on becoming educated in in financial terms reading the weekend the quality weekend papers maybe investing in a magazine that gives you a rundown on on investments every week or every month so that's the real best thing is to become educated yourself now getting back to the the stock market okay over the long term The stock market has has done better than most other investments. You know, when you look at advisors, they will say, you know, since the First World War, the market's gone up and up and up and up. And then you look at little dips here and there. But those dips can actually be quite large crashes. But even then, it's notoriously difficult to pick the right shares. You know, there are thousands of companies and shares to buy. And a share is just a a share or a piece of a, a company that you might want to invest in. So you could look at a company like HSBC, SmithKline Glaxo. These are huge companies and you could buy a share in them so you become a part owner in the business but it's, it's notoriously difficult to pick the right one and, and even experts have found that um, it's not that easy and, and they can get it wrong so the best way is to really take a course in, in, in investing read books read magazines listen to podcasts then maybe try it yourself try and do a sort of dummy investment where you say right I'm buying those and see what happens over the, over the period of months and then get to learn about it yourself obviously if you've got a lot of money you could have your own stockbroker who then uh, advises you and invests for you uh, but they're not going to be interested in small amounts of money and certainly won't be interested in monthly investments now what, what is my investment vehicle what do I like well apart from investing in businesses which again requires a lot of effort and, and in, on my part to run that business and build it up one of my favorite investments over the years have been property and i say that for i'd say three main reasons firstly i can see and touch property it's tangible unlike a managed fund or a share certificate which is basically a bit of paper i I can see the property i can visit the property it's just tangible for me and it's easy to understand isn't it it's bricks and mortar secondly it's under my control not a fund manager so if i if i screw up it's down to me i can do lots of different things with that property okay i might buy a property and uh, live in it for a while then I might decide well I want to rent that out if I have to I could rent it out as, as a single buy to let I could uh, divide it into rooms or flats subject to planning and all the permissions and licenses I could also flip it I can buy a property and if it's gone up enough in value which I've done in the past I've decided well yeah I've, I've made enough money on it I'm going to sell that on now not everyone does that but I, I've made money doing that now all of these things, you know, depends on where you buy and what you buy. But for me, it's been the best investment over many years. It, it is a bit more illiquid or it's not as liquid as shares because with a share, you can get up and sell on the phone. But it's certainly not as volatile as shares. Shares can go down just on a market whim. It can go down on a forecast like the, the, the market feels that the CEO has forecast a, a fall in profit. So the share price can, can just dive just like that. It can also go up if someone wants to take over the company suddenly didn't go up. But, you know, property for me has, has been a great investment. But the third and I think the most important reason I like property as opposed to shares or bonds is that I can use leverage or what I call borrowed money. Other people's money to buy property, to buy that asset class. Now, that could be residential or commercial. In other words, I can borrow money to buy it. So depending on the markets and lending conditions i could buy just you know i'm just giving a round figure here a hundred thousand pound property or house for twenty five thousand pound or i can buy that hundred thousand pound house for twenty thousand and borrow the rest and that loan will be paid off by my tenants or by the future growth and by selling it yeah so where else can you buy something for £100,000 for £25,000? Yeah, let me explain. OK, I know I'm borrowing and I'm getting a £75,000 mortgage. And of course, I'll have to pay back the loan. I'll have to pay interest on the loan throughout the term. But I'm enjoying growth and rental income on a £100,000 property, not a £25,000 investment. The difference is if I had £25,000, I could buy £25,000 worth of shares but I've had to earn that money, pay tax on the money, then I buy twenty-five thousand pound worth of shares. But with the property, I can buy a hundred thousand pound investment with that twenty-five thousand pound. Do you see the difference? And also, the loan will largely be paid off by by renting that property out. Yeah. Now, obviously, people, you know, have voids and maybe you're not going to get the rent you thought you would. But that's worked for me. I've I've been able to pay off mortgages on properties by renting it out, and still having money to pay the mortgage and still having money left over to put in my pocket to give me an income okay now let's say I bought a property of 100,000 and over 10 years it's doubled in value so now it's worth 200,000 pound so you could say I've doubled my money well I'd say not quite yes I've doubled the money from the point of view I bought it for 100 now it's worth 200 but remember I put in 25,000 I borrowed 75,000, so I've still got a 75,000 pound mortgage, and then I sell it for 200,000 pound. What have I got left? Well, I've obviously got to pay off the 75,000 pound loan, saying let's assume it's interest only, and I've got 125,000 pound left, right? So, have I doubled my money? Well, in my eyes, no, I've quadrupled my money. I put 25,000 pound in, and I'm getting back 125,000 pounds, yeah? that's more than 100%. So it's, it's based on the capital employed, I've made a 100,000 pound on the 25,000 pound. So I'm, I'm getting back four times that amount of money. Yeah. So I, I see that as not a 100% return, I see that as a 400% return. Now, I'm not taking into account taxes and costs and uh, all the rest of it. Yeah. I, I'm just taking into account the fact that, you know, just keeping it simple to keep the math simple. Now, we mentioned inflation. Now, in the case of Having your money in the bank and savings, inflation works against you, because it's devaluing the, the value of that money over, over the longer term. But in the case of borrowing, inflation can actually work in your favor. Well how is that? Because borrowing 75,000 pounds 10, 20, 30 years ago, that amount of money, 75,000 then, is not the same as it is now, and it will not be the same as it is in 30 years' time. So when you pay back that money in the future, you're paying it back on devalued money. So, you know, as I gave in the, the earlier example, to buy a property with a 15% deposit, I needed £15,000 and I borrowed £75,000. Well, years later, paying back £75,000 is, is like nothing. That's due to the effect of inflation devaluing the value of your, your loans and your borrowing over the longer term so let, let's look at another thing try walking into your bank tomorrow and ask them to lend you money to buy shares in a company know, like bt apple or whatever just just for fun say can you i you know i want to buy a hundred thousand pound worth of shares I, I i believe this company's a good investment could you lend me the rest of the money and and we'll secure it on the value of those shares now they'll usually go uh, sorry no <laughs> i'm afraid we don't we don't lend on shares have you got a property you could secure it against well no i've just got the shares yeah Now, I just do this for fun. But if you delve into it a little bit deeper and say, why not? You'll discover that they view shares or or unit trusts or pension schemes as as a little bit too risky for them to lend their money on. They won't risk their money on that. However, they're quite happy for you to risk your savings and your money to invest in those assets to to secure your retirement or your your long term savings. So I, I find it. A little bit, and I, I, just have a bit of fun with advisors because they come in and say, "Hey, why don't you invest in our bank fund?" You know, this is a, a managed fund. And invest in shares. I say, well, "Okay, great. Lend me the money, and I'll, I'll invest in it." And they go, "Well, I can't do that." So, in summary, look, what I'm saying is, you're nearly, you're nearly always better off investing in assets over the long term. The price of assets can fluctuate. You could lose your money. You could buy the wrong asset at the wrong time. You might need to sell fast, but it's usually better to seek always best to 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 seek financial advice and even better to become educated yourself now for me property has consistently made me money over the years and still continues to do so for this day but buying property and dealing with tenants requires effort and patience but the returns have for me more than justified the the work that i've put in you can easily do something like this in your spare time in fact all the time i've been investing in properties i've I've always been working full-time or running a business so as long as you know what you're doing you buy fairly close to you where you're not traveling up to the north of england the south of england or scotland and you live in london or you you're investing as well in a market that you you really understand you can easily run a small portfolio of properties whilst holding down a full-time job now some people use management companies or or agents to 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 completely manage the property for them and they hardly ever visit the property I've, i've done that myself as well in the past however before you rush out and buy property or shares or anything i suggest that you learn about property or any type of investment from someone who's done it before now in particular for property i wouldn't take advice from say a relative who say, oh that's too risky or somebody just has one or two buy to lets i would go to somebody that has been there done it and understands it and knows how to teach it as well because not everyone knows how to teach something and not everyone knows why they're successful in a certain area now i've attended large number of property courses over the years you know when I started there weren't these property courses I just had to do it by trial and error and talking to a few people but the one I found the most useful are courses run by a company called Progressive Property Uh, I've got to know one of the founders Rob Moore Uh, he owns with his partner something like six seven hundred properties so I think you know you can safely say they they know a thing or two about property Uh, not just residential but commercials as well now they offer a free taster course Uh, which basically takes you through the basics of many different types of strategies from single lets to houses in multiple occupation, HMOs, options, deal pack, deal packaging. And I find that the free courses, okay. you won't learn everything about them, but you'll get enough there to, to, to get you thinking and get you going. And you can do some more research. You can go on more detailed courses. But one of the great benefits of going to these things is that you'll get to network with other like-minded people. Not all of them are beginners. Some of them are have been around for a long time. You know, I was sitting next to a guy who owned 140 properties. You might meet someone that wants an investor, wants someone to to invest in them and you've got investment money. They'll do all the work. Alternatively, you might meet someone that will do all the work for you and source properties, but they just need someone to provide the deposits and, and go into to a sort of a, a joint venture with them. So it's a great place to meet people. And if it's a free taster course, what, what have you got to lose? You know, it's a weekend spent there that you might have otherwise just watched TV or a Sunday afternoon where you're just watching Columbo when you could be actually learning about property, which could make you a lot of money in the future. Now, I once heard it said by the author and speaker, Brian Tracy, that only around 10 percent of people ever study after leaving school or university. Now, I don't know how true that is, but but I've found In in many cases, the people I meet with the least money have done the least amount of study since leaving school. And the most successful people I know are continually learning, not going back to school or, or university, but usually taking courses, seminars, whether it's through their work or privately, updating their knowledge. You can tell that they're keeping abreast of things. They know what's going on. And if you want to be successful in the future, you want to be financially successful, financially free, you need to keep learning because things change and you need to keep your mind active and up to date so there it is that's a little bit about investing in assets and about the effects of inflation remember that inflation can work against you if your money's just sitting in the bank but it can work in your favor if you're using good borrowing to buy assets that go up in value in the longer term now if you're interested in finding out more about property courses Drop me an email a messenger or there might be a link below that you can see depending on where you're looking at this or just drop me a line my email address is charles at charleskelly.net, or you can drop me a messenger message on charles kelly on facebook and i'll put you in touch and get you a free place at one of those taster courses Whilst they're still running. I don't know if these will be going forever, but they're, they're running at the moment. So thank you very much for listening. This has been Charles Kelly bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest, accumulate, and ultimately enjoy more money. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions.